Like the difference with boundaries in the workplace and then toxic work environments, it's almost like doing a decoupling and saying, okay, do I need to put a boundary in the workplace? And also, am I in a toxic work environment? So like, am I being harassed? Am I being asked to do the job of two people? Am I being asked to work on weekends? I mean, some of my clients have like, felt really guilty for not responding to emails at 2 a.m. And it's like, okay, is this is this what is expected in the workplace? You say like work in management consulting or um, I don't know, you're an M&A lawyer or something. So it's kind of understanding like, am I in a toxic work situation or is there a boundary that's being crossed? Have you ever wondered whether there's actually a sustainable way to balance a healthy and meaningful life with your busy schedule? Well, you're in luck, Balancer, because I did too. And the Balancery podcast is now a dedicated space to be curious in finding a balance that just works. Because since we're being honest here, balance isn't a one-size-fits-all. I'm your host, Erica, and let's dive into today's episode. All right, Balancers, today's guest is a life coach who works with high performers to build healthier relationships with themselves and find meaning and impact in their careers, something I think is so important in the conversation of balance. And so I'm really excited to have a chat today. She has worked with leaders from LinkedIn, DocuSign, Uber, Gartner, and Amazon, just to name a few. And I know that corporate burnout is something she's experienced in the past before. So Hannah Kissel, a warm welcome to the Balance Area podcast. It's a, it's a real pleasure to have you on the show today. Oh, thanks so much, Erica. And um, as I've told you, I am a balancer. I am a fan. And I actually have sent a few of your podcasts to my clients. So I feel like it's, yeah, we're speaking a really similar language and probably reaching the same type of women. So I'm so happy to be here. Oh, thank you. It's it's really nice to not only have you on, but have a, a listener uh, and someone who, you know, believes and resonates highly with the mission as well. So really special episode. Um, one thing I didn't sort of touch on when I introduced you and something I kind of picked up and I was having a look at your mission and your work, something I thought was really interesting that I wanted to ask you about was this part of your mission where you help leaders relate to the world from a state of wholeness. This state of wholeness, I think, is something I've somewhat turned my attention to seek a little bit more these days as I'm nearing 30. um, I think focusing on the inside and myself feeling whole and complete within myself, at least that's how I kind of resonate or relate to that statement, um, is something that's really been at the forefront for me. So can you kind of walk us through what is a state of wholeness? And then we can kind of maybe bridge that to how you help leaders lead from that place. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, it's an interesting concept. I actually came across that phrasing. I'm in 12-step recovery. I've been sober for around coming up to seven years now. And what I realized, especially with really high performers, which is typically who I tend to work with, um, is that a lot of times performance will come from a need to like feel okay within themselves. So people think if I just get the boyfriend, if I just can get the next promotion, if I can make 200K, 500K, a million dollars, whatever X is, if I can win a Pulitzer Prize, then I'll be okay and I'll be complete. And so relating to the world from a state of wholeness is really like actually understanding that you already are inherently whole, you already are inherently worthy. And my own personal story with it is I grew up um, in a family with a lot of addiction. I had a family member Uh, who was addicted to drugs quite young. And I realized that in order to get attention from my parents, 
I had to achieve a lot. And so I realized like if I got really good grades, if I won a dance competition, then then they would pay attention to me. And so I think that that for me created this endless cycle of, okay, I'm kind of worthy when I achieve. And so that then is like, that's when I'll be okay when I achieve X things, because that's when I get attention and that's when I get love. So a lot of what I do when people come to me and it's like, they're almost in like this manic achievement where they think that they need to get something to be okay. We then start to unpack, okay, what is it? Like, why are you doing these things? Like, where does this thought pattern come from? And then realizing How do you then turn it back to yourself and already know that you're already whole, already know that you are complete. And a lot of that comes with self-compassion. A lot of that comes with boundaries as well. Like I've really found that people gain self-esteem through boundaries and through understanding where what's acceptable to them and what's not acceptable to them. And then like starting to act on it. And it's kind of a little bit counterintuitive, but then that actually keeps people more whole and intact Um, Because they're more self-contained and they're less like seeking outside, not only through people pleasing, but then they're seeking less validation. So it kind of all interacts together. Yeah, absolutely. This, um, This is really speaking to my soul and something I can hands up say, I struggle with to date, this need to almost achieve in order to feel worthy essentially is the bottom line. And it's just a huge limiting belief we place on ourselves in terms of our self-worth and self-value. You touched on a few things, self-compassion boundaries. We're going to get into all that, but would you say it's like a void place you're coming from? It's like an empty place where you're trying to use all these externalities to fill that and make it feel complete when in essence, it's more like an inside out approach. And if so, because I feel like it's such a big topic, right? We're going to go into boundaries and self-compassion. Is there kind of a really simple way to start like shifting? So we're moving from the inside out, or is it really a case of having to do the work to unpack, to go back to like, okay, where did this stem from? Was it a school? Was it my parents? Was it, you know, something like that kind of moving as we grew up? Yeah. I mean, I think that you can, you can, attack it both ways, actually. Like you don't necessarily have to do all the mindset work or therapeutic work. Although I do, I think that understanding those layers of where this comes from, where that part of you. But then also I think like what, how you can move that tactically and kind of a short, like a short, sharp win is understanding I mean, it's really putting a boundary in place. So like my key and my key to that is like understanding where you feel resentment in your life. Um, So like whenever you feel resentment, then it's an indication that there is a boundary violation happening. And so you give me an example of. um, Yeah. So, for example, a friend's constantly showing up late and you feel really irritable. Maybe your partner doesn't put away Amazon boxes. I'm trying to think of like something like that, like something kind of little. Or it could be that your boss is giving you too much work as well. Mm -hmm. Like your boss is giving you the work of two people and you actually can't do it within the time period allotted. So think about whatever is kind of spiking that real arousal and like spiking that resentment. Then that's an indication that a boundary needs to be put in place. But I would say that kind of like the path, I mean, what the question that you asked, I feel like we can go a few different ways, but I would say like the path to wholeness is then understanding and saying, okay, that's actually not acceptable to me. What is acceptable to me? How can I ask for that? But what happens initially when people first start putting in boundaries is that they feel very bad. 
Like there's a lot of shame. Yeah, there's a lot of guilt. I call it afterburn. So it's not going to happen quickly. And typically people feel worse initially. Like it, it, this isn't, this is kind of like a long winding road, but eventually it gets easier and eventually it becomes second nature. But it's completely normal to feel like shit once you start putting in boundaries. You're like, am I being selfish? Am I being dramatic? Am I asking for, for too much? Especially if, and this happens a lot with women, but I've coached men as well. This happens with men too. But especially if you have people pleasing tendencies, this stuff's going to be really uncomfortable at first. But I mean, to to go back to your point as well, kind of with like the manic achievement, because I do see that a lot. And um, what I've noticed with clients is I'll work with them for a period of six months, three to six months, and then they'll they'll start to put in boundaries or they'll start to actually tell people how they feel. And they'll say like, when you do this, it really frustrates me or I get, you know, really irritated or that actually really hurt my feelings. And it's these really simple ways of communication. And then what, what actually happens, it's so funny. I had a session today actually where this did happen. And I have a client who I would say is kind of a manic overachiever and she's achieved I mean, her resume is extremely impressive and she's done so much. But today she said to me in the same conversation where she actually told a friend that he had hurt her feelings and it frustrated her. And then at the end of the session, she said, "Okay, I know I have to do a lot. She's doing a lot of business development, really building her business. And she's like, I know I have to do a lot of business development right now, but I actually don't feel any anxiety coming up around it. And like the, you know, the, the thing that typically comes is thinking like, I need to do more. I need to do more like the chronic Mm. stress that people feel. And it's interesting to see how people don't think that there is a correlation between like self-esteem, stress levels, lowering, um, by putting in boundaries. But again, this, the whole kind of thing correlates to this is how you build a world where you do feel whole because you're actually, signaling to your body that, oh, no, I do matter. Oh, no, I do respect myself. Oh, no, my feelings do matter. I tell people when they've hurt me, I do speak up. And then your body relaxes, but it, but it takes a big transition period. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and it's totally understandable if you've kind of moved through life, like you've kind of vulnerably shared that growing up for you, like achieving things was a way to get your parents' attention, you know, and then you grow into an adult and that's your lens in which you see the world to undo that or to start saying no to people or to stop pleasing others or to stop doing things for the validation of others feels really counterintuitive and so for anyone listening who maybe resonates with that whether it is like the way you were raised in your family even for me it was like doing well at school and the way you were validated and praised for being a good student was getting high marks was you know doing well in things coming first those as kind of accolades backed up your worth your validation what Mm. career you went on to next so I don't think it's kind of like a shock horror that many of us struggle with this because I almost think the system in which we grew up in kind of primed you in a way for that kind of setting and then if you layer that on top of maybe a family who knowingly or unknowingly kind of then had a situation where that compounded that then it's no fault of yours that you've grown with that lens and then it's no fault of yours that moving away from that or trying to change or set these boundaries or have self-compassion it feels really uncomfortable but I think the key takeaway here is just knowing that that is normal and the reason you're feeling that is because it is so different to the lens you've grown up 
kind of viewing the world. And that kind of brings me on to self-compassion, which I think is a huge part of all this. And as someone who resonates a lot with what you're saying, that kind of feeling of always needing to do more, which by the way, it's really also, that is also counterintuitive because you realize the more you achieve, then you push the goalpost and it's never enough. You know, it's mm-hmm. actually never going to be enough. And I kind of, I've had this conversation with my fiance sometimes when we talk about financial goals and you can get stuck in the loop. We're like, okay, when we have X amount, this is kind of our number where we'll be able to have the lifestyle we want or whatever it is. And then you kind of have to remind yourself, like, is it about the number? Is it about how we're going to feel? Like, because then you just end up keep pushing it back and it's never going to be enough, right? But one thing that I want to talk about that I think women or anyone listening right now really who resonates with this conversation, who feels like they're an overachiever, that nothing's ever enough, that they always have to be doing something to feel worthy. One thing they will likely struggle with is self-compassion. And can you just maybe start by sharing a really simple couple examples of what self-compassion actually looks like? Because obviously it's compassion towards ourselves, Mm. but just some like everyday examples of how that actually manifests. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I feel like people don't really know what self-compassion means, actually. Mm-hmm. Like they like. Well, we weren't can, taught. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you can think about um, you can think about self-compassion. I mean, for anyone that wants to do a little further research, I love Kristen Neff's work on self-compassion. I use a lot of that in my coaching practice. But I would say like a, a kind of a tactical thing is I think the first step is awareness. So it's starting to really understand how you talk to yourself. So look at, um, look at let's say, any time maybe I work with a lot of salespeople. I was in, worked in sales for seven years at LinkedIn. Um, so a good thing for sales or is like, okay, if a deal falls through, then how do you talk to yourself? Or even if, let's say if you're dating and someone doesn't want to date you or maybe they don't reciprocate your feelings, what's your reaction to yourself after? And then start to really listen to the voices. So like gather an awareness of the things that you're saying to yourself. And then a tactical thing. So for people that don't really know how to start with this self-compassion journey, it's like actually imagine your best friend telling you that story and then saying, what would you say to your best friend? So Typically, we can't really comfort ourselves because we're not taught this skill. But I mean, especially as women, and we don't need to really get into gender dynamics, but like, especially as women, women are really taught to comfort other people. Mm. And to be the nurturers and the the carers. Exactly. Mm. So I would imagine like you'd be able to hold space for your best friend if she was having a really rough time. So it's like actually thinking of what you're saying to your best friend and then saying that to yourself. And really, like, when you start off on that journey, it's almost like learning another language and -hmm. just knowing that, like, developing self-compassion, it's actually a skill. And if it's totally new, like, if you, if something happens to you where you don't achieve something that you want to, and if you start saying, like, you should have done better, should is a really good indication. I always say, like, watch for should. That's, like, a really good indication that someone's shaming themselves. So if it's like, you should have done better, you should have known this, um, you suck, like you're a piece of shit. I mean, the, the voices can really vary in terms of severity and like people can actually be in really abusive relationships with themselves. Mm. So it's starting to understand that. And then there are like three things that I like to look at. One is like gaining awareness and that's not over identifying with your thoughts. So it's being like, okay, I'm actually thinking or I'm having the thought about this. So you're 
trying to separate you and the thought. And then another one. Yeah, exactly. Like you're the observer. And then another one is like common humanity. So that's a part of Kristen Neff's work where it's like, okay, other people experience this as well. So I know, I'm sure you, you might've experienced this when starting a podcast, like starting a new business venture, um, maybe thinking that things would be like amazing right away and then having to build an audience. I could imagine that there were some thought patterns for sure. That were, yeah. Yeah. That were going up and then realizing, even for me, it was starting my own business, leaving corporate, like realizing, Oh, other entrepreneurs go through this too. Like I'm not, you know, this is actually a very normal feeling that I'm it's a shared experience. Yeah, exactly. So you want to like normalize the feelings and know that you're not alone because a lot of people think that they're really alone in their suffering There's like a a terminal uniqueness when actually other people in their situation would experience this too. Like being dumped, no matter who you are, fucking sucks. So it's like anyone's anyone's going to like feel a lot of pain around that. So it's kind of realizing like, okay, this is a common feeling. Um, And then I would, yeah, start to begin like talking to yourself like you would a friend. So your best friend or the person that you care about most in the world, maybe it's even like a puppy or a cat or something like that. Like, how would you talk to them if they're having a problem? And just try to talk to yourself. Sometimes it might not be that easy to do that at first. Um, But just knowing that with time, like over repetition, that it can get easier. Yeah, yeah. I feel like as I kind of shared before, this is sort of a big part of my journey at the moment, this aspect of self-compassion. And I have to truthfully say that the part of like speaking to yourself is really strange. Like it is, Mm. it is quite. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend, but what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Strange. I feel like the first piece, and, and I and I do agree just in my own experience from doing it, I think breaking it down and not trying to maybe do them all at once is probably easier. So for mm. me, it was like getting used to the awareness first. So it was when I maybe felt rejection, when I didn't hear back from people I'd pitched to, for example, or maybe when I felt, um, I don't know, lonely because no one was responding to my messages or whatever the feeling was, I started to notice how I internalized what that meant about me, right? And then over time, I started to realize that I started to make all these stories up about what these external events meant about myself. So that was the first piece. And I feel like I've now gotten comfortable with that. Now it's like, I love that middle piece and someone else has actually brought up, um, is it Kristen Neff's work Mm -hmm. that you mentioned? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. someone's brought that up on the podcast before and I really admire and love that middle piece of the common humanity because it's true, when you're going through the motions, when you're in the feels, you feel very isolated and like you're the only person can can get into a real like victim mentality. But I think tapping into this shared experience is a really nice way to just take a little bit off your shoulders. That's how it kind of makes me feel. But that last piece of talking to yourself. Um, I'm sure you've heard of like Mel Robbins and the high five habit and all that kind of stuff, looking at yourself in the mirror and, you know, speaking kindly, it's 
something I still find a little bit uncomfortable. But as you said, it's a skill that we have to nurture and develop over time. Um, but I think this self-compassion, it's a tough one, but it's so important because we go through so many situations in life, whether it be at work, like I know so many people who, you know, it's even sometimes just an email that triggers a whole story in your head. And, and maybe that wasn't even the intended meaning, but it's how you've internalized it. Maybe you've gotten a little bit of like constructive criticism, but then, you know, as a high performer, I mean, I, I've certainly got a history of not taking criticism well in the initial fact, you know, and internalizing what that means about me or in a relationship when you get feedback from your partner, you know, I mean, that's, that's a healthy thing. Again, you go through all these situations that you can create these long-winded stories. And I think just holding, learning how to hold that space for yourself is so important. Um, we have such a focus on holding it for other people in our relationships, in work, whatever it is. But doing it for ourselves I think is even more important because it comes back to that idea of just like filling your cup so then you've got more to give to others. This kind of leads us down the conversation of boundaries as well because it's obviously one thing to have and nurture your self-compassion but obviously you need to have boundaries so you've actually got the time and space to do that for yourself. And there's obviously so many different boundaries that we can talk about, but what I want to really focus on with you given kind of where you sit and the work you do is within work because I feel like healthy boundaries in the context of work is something a lot of people struggle with, especially women because I think at times we're the ones that are torn between, you know, whether you've got kids or not, I think there's an aspect of like, being the homemaker and, you know, upkeeping a house and a home, whether it's just for yourself, whether it's for you and a partner, whether you still live with your family, whether you've got children, there's that aspect. There's the aspect of self and wanting to make sure we're looking after ourselves, we're training, exercising, creating this time and space for ourselves. And then obviously a lot of us as high performers have these huge goals at work. And it's really hard sometimes, as you said, the guilt, the shame, it all comes up when we're trying to set these boundaries. Maybe we can start with some really key boundaries that you feel are really important to protect our balance, as we know is, is something that's very unique to each of us. Um, but, but sort of boundaries we can start to think about that we could apply in the context of our workplaces, maybe some generic ones, and then maybe we can talk about ways to set them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I also want to just touch on one point that you just made that I thought was really important on the self-compassion piece, which I heard you say this a few times, but the question of what am I making this mean? And mm -hmm. I think that that is a really, really great question to ask yourself. And when something's wrong or when you're, you know, let's say there's perceived rejection or you feel like you're being harsh on yourself, asking yourself, what am I making this mean? And just stopping to say that. So I just wanted to call that out. Um, but boundaries at work, it's all very, I would say that it's, it's highly personalized because for example, my sister's a corporate lawyer or she was a district attorney and now she's a lawyer. Her relationship with work and her ability to work, she probably can work more hours than I can or than I want to. And so I wouldn't do well in the type of work environment. She just like switched to a civil law firm and it seems like that's really working for her. She really loves the work. So I think it's it's actually understanding um, what your individual boundaries are. And there's a real, like the difference with boundaries in the workplace and then toxic work environments. It's almost like doing a decoupling and saying, okay, do I need to put a boundary in the workplace? And also, am I in a toxic work environment? So like, am I being harassed? Am I being asked to do the job of two people? Am I being asked to 
work on weekends. I mean, some of my clients have like felt really guilty for not responding to emails at 2 a.m. And it's like, okay, is this is this what is expected in the workplace? You say like work in management consulting or um, I don't know, you're an M&A lawyer or something. So it's kind of understanding like, am I in a toxic work situation or is there a boundary that's being crossed? And I think that the first thing that anyone can do is starting to understand like what it is what's actually bothering you. So like boundaries in the workplace, they can be really hard to put in place, especially if it's with a superior and especially because your work is tied to your financial security. So I think it's getting really clear on like what it what's actually bothering you. So a common one is um, that I see is like overwork, is like having to work too many hours. And so what I would do with the client is say like, well, why is it that this is happening? Is it the industry that you're in? Is it the function? Is this actually just the expectation of the career profession? And like, are you trying to change the system? That's probably not going to be changed. So for example, if you work in corporate M&A, you're probably going to be working till 11 a.m. or p.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m. Like that's not uncommon in that space. So you have to understand that Am I existing within the system that's probably not going to change? Or is there something going on here that I can change and I can influence? And is it like, and what I what I see a lot as well is that people put in boundaries, but they often violate their own boundaries. So they'll say, I'm going offline. I spend, you know, 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. with my children. This is a big one. I spend 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. with my children and I'm totally offline. But then they're actually online. So then it's like, okay, well, why are and you, you get doing upset that? People, people don't respect it, but you're not yeah. respecting it yourself. It's, exactly. And I see that. I that's, that's across, like, that's with mothers and fathers that I see that with, of, like, people not, like, people telling the team something and then not following through. So you also have mm-hmm. to understand, like, is your behavior confusing? So, like, are you actually adhering to your own boundaries? And that's mm-hmm. a really big one. It's also, like, going into, let's say you're like you are chronically overworked you're working in professions that expects those hours but you also make really good money this is something that i that i see a lot and it's it's kind of understanding where that comes from um so for example one of my clients her father uh lost his job when they were younger so she has like a lot of money scarcity that she didn't really understand before we started coaching together so she's in a job she's very unhappy in a very like high paying career but she's got a lot of fear of leaving that because of her money scarcity and her money story. So we've really had to like do some work and uncouple, okay, what, like, what are the stories you're telling yourself about why you think that you should stay in a job that you're really unhappy with? And I loved your last podcast of saying like, okay, is it that I'm going to stay in here and work these hours for money, but do I know that I'm making the trade-off? Like, am I aware of it? And, and am I okay with it? And then if you're not, if you're not, okay with it, then it's like, what's the step that you're going to take? And it might, it might have to be a financial pay cut. I mean, that was one specific instance, but that is something that I do see a lot. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What I want to pull out from that, which I think is really, really, really good is the distinction between uh, something that's toxic and something that you need to set a boundary with. Because I think sometimes, and like you said, it's, it's really, really individualized I've got a lot of friends here in Dubai that are lawyers and they work till 1am, 2am every day, 
but they really enjoy what they do, right? So to them, it's not a violation of their time. Whereas for me, I personally have never gone for a top tier law firm because I personally know that I can't commit that time. It would be un- it would be an unfair trade off on both sides because I just wouldn't function working in those in that environment. And so what's quote unquote toxic or what needs a boundary for one person looks very different to another. And another really important call out, and it really just resonates with the, the legal space as well. Uh, I'm sure there are a few other industries maybe I haven't worked in that can also resonate is that idea of you trying to change the system. Because if you're up against something that is just the expectation, which is the case in law firms, right? Like it's the case that you're expected as a junior to work those long hours. You're expected to put in the time to kind of earn your title as a senior, et cetera. If you're going in and then trying to change that, then maybe it's just not the right, maybe it's not a right match for you. You know, maybe you you need to take your skills and put them in another space. For example, in my case, it's like working in-house or working at a smaller firm and you need to decide what what the trade-off is. But working out what's toxic and what needs a boundary and what am I okay with is really important. And the only thing I wanted to add is you, you, um, you mentioned like a really few good working examples, for example, doing the job of two people or being asked to work overtime constantly, et cetera, that might mean you need boundaries. I think another really telltale sign for me is when it's taking away from your other areas of your life. So if you're constantly having to miss the gym, uh, you know, I call them your non-negotiables. If those things are being compromised at the expense of having to put too much into work, then over time, you're going to very quickly fall into burnout, at least in my opinion anyway, because the imbalance with completely like neglecting those areas of your life or spending no time with your partner of not being able to meal prep or meditate or have, you know, even just you need time for self-compassion, you know, all these things. If you've got one area that's chewing up all of that, it's a very unbalanced way to live. So that's another sign for me personally that's like you probably need to set some boundaries if you feel you're compromising on some things that are just bare minimum non-negotiables for you. Just before we wrap up, I just wanted to touch on burnout very, very quickly. I feel like there's burnout's not like you wake up one day and you're burnt out. I mean, people may feel that way when they go, go, go and nonstop. But I feel like if we really tune in, if we really dial down, there are probably a couple signposts or red flags along the way, which could probably signal to us, hey, we are we are heading this way. And I just wanted to ask you uh, in your in your coaching experience, in your own experience with your burnout journey. What are some of those signs that can kind of we can tap into and be like, okay, we're heading that way, but we're not there yet? Yeah, and I I see this a lot, and I actually will like flag when I do see someone heading toward burnout. They can really vary, but I would say chronic exhaustion is a big one. Also, lack of motivation. So if you're typically a really motivated person and all of a sudden you don't feel like you have any motivation at work, that's something... Um, There are also physical manifestations, so dizziness, crying all the time. Um, But I would say that it is, it's not just like you wake up with burnout, it kind, it can, it accumulates and it actually compounds. And the thing with burnout is once you have burnout, it's like a concussion. It's a lot easier for you to get burnout again. So once you have it, you're going to be, you're always going to have to be a bit more careful about your work than someone else would. And I know this from my own burnout recovery. I couldn't work for a year. I had to like work with a specific therapist on burnout rehabilitation now. And I I do coach people on this as well. So it, it can be really severe. And 
just on, on your last point about what you're talking about, it's, um, I've, I guess this kind of ties together the whole conversation, but this like hypermania around achievement. And it's like, maybe that it is okay for you to work till 1am or 2am. Maybe you're um, especially kind of like early 20s, maybe late 20s, but even into 30s, 40s. But now the World Health Organization, there's research that says working extremely long hours is now linked to early death. So it is actually severe. And it knowing that you might be able to do it for a couple of years, but it, it actually will catch up with you in terms of chronic stress and health conditions. And so it's sometimes asking like, well, what am I willing to, what am I willing to take? Like it, it actually is the the cost of like, am I willing to work these jobs and work these hours at the cost of, a, of years of my life? Because it is, that seems quite dramatic and drastic, but it, it, it it's actually the truth now that we're mm. looking at. Um, so I would say, yeah, looking for, looking for those signs. So chronic exhaustion, lack of motivation, physical manifestations, dizziness, fainting, even um, if you're starting to faint. And then kind of the prevention um, that I start to do when, when I see clients heading that way. And I know you talk about this a lot with the entire balance theory. It's like, it is going back to your non-negotiables. And typically I will actually instate some non-negotiables for clients. So I'm like, all right, you need to sleep seven to eight hours a day. You need to eat three meals a day. Um, Skipping meals tends to be really common before people burn out because typically they're so into their work. Yeah, that they will just eat kind of whatever. So it's like three balanced meals, seven to eight hours of sleep, um, canceling everything that's non-essential. That's also a big one that I do. So like anything Mm -hmm. that you don't actually have to do, start to cancel that. And what I do with clients, um, I mean, I work with a lot of clients in tech companies, but Often, so I don't really know if it's like this in the legal world. I wouldn't think so. But often in tech companies, there's a lot of project work. There's a lot of um, cultural work as well. Like you could be the lead of, let's say, women at LinkedIn or women at Google, and you could be mentoring five people, and you could be doing a lot of things outside of your job. So what I do, exactly. So like what I do with clients is I have them list out all of their extracurriculars, and then we just slash them. And it's mm. like, you you can't actually do these because you're having trouble just functioning right now. Mm. So we have to strip everything back, just focus on your core job, and then really start to focus on those non-negotiables of like, how do you actually just take care of yourself with sleep, mm. nutrition, rest, fr- friendship as well? Are you seeing yeah. friends? That also is a big thing. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think the biggest thing here is like a lot of us who feel this way, it's actually a really beautiful thing because you want to do so much and you want to give so much. But I think it just comes to a point where you're like, I need to give to myself if I want to have this life where I'm giving. You can't just be giving, giving, giving all the time and not giving back to yourself. It's just really not sustainable. And I wanted to bring up the word sustainability because it's like, and back to kind of that episode I did now when this episode goes live, it'll be a few weeks ago where I was talking about, you know, have your why with your work. So if you're prepared and you're like, this isn't crossing a boundary for me, I have the energy, I have the commitment, I've got my focus, I know where I'm heading and I'm happy to work till 1, 2 a.m. every single day for this short period of time, that's fine. But always come back to that sustainability question, is this sustainable? And I really approach this in terms of workout routines I do, diets I, I maybe try you always have to come back to that idea, like, could I do this for the rest of my life? And if not, set a bit of an end date, give yourself a timeline to do it and be very intentional with with why 
it's, it's playing that role in your life. I think what you've shared, uh, maybe some people listening are feeling some of those symptoms. Maybe they feel they're heading that way. Um, and I don't want anyone to panic because obviously there are a lot of things you can do, but really just simplify, right? Like just go back to the basics and I think just honor the fact that you wanting to do all these things is really beautiful because often it's you just wanting to give to a lot of other people through friendships, through doing things, through mentoring, through all those extracurricular at work, through to your company. Like you want to give a lot. But then it comes back to giving to yourself and knowing that your worth isn't dependent on all those things. And if we go all the way back to the beginning of the episode, it's like you are already whole, whether you do those things or not. They're all kind of sparkle. It's extra, it's bonus, but it doesn't um, it doesn't complete you in a way. And coming back to this sense of wholeness through the really simple non-negotiables, I think is a really nice way to fill your cup and then that way you can give to others and ultimately avoid burnout. I just want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. I've learned a lot. There's a lot of synergy between the work you do and, and I guess the things I enjoy talking about and where I feel I'm at in life too. So I've really enjoyed today's chat. And for everyone listening who wants to connect with you, follow along your journey, was the best place I can go? And I'll pop some links in the show notes. Yeah, you can um, go to my website. It's hannahkissel.com or I'm on Instagram, hannahmaykissel, M-A-E-K-I-S-S-E-L. And yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. And just to the listeners, like if you are experiencing these symptoms, if you are experiencing burnout um, or kind of heading toward that, just taking these simple steps, like slash, slash everything that's extracurricular, focus on sleep, focus on diet, rest, nutrition, movement. And it's like, you can avoid it. So I don't want people to think that it's hopeless and you can, you can recover from it. And ultimately it will make you reprioritize things. So thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me and yeah, I had a lot of fun. Me too. Thank you so much. And I'll pop all those links below. Thanks again for your time and stay in touch for sure. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.